What's going on, Chums? Welcome back to Night City Council. My name is John John the Wise, and I am here with the illustrious mayor of Balancetown himself, James Hutt. How are you, James? I'm doing great. How are you doing, John John? Doing well. And of course, we have a very special guest with us today, returning onto my channel, Cody Pondsmith himself has joined us to talk about some cool stuff. Cody, thank you for coming on. I have returned. Thank you for having me. He has returned from his slumber, from toiling away, giving everybody all the Witcher goodness. How's that been treating you? Terribly, but I think it's coming out great. No, it is. It is. It's, it's going good. Yeah. We're having a good time. We, we appreciate all your hard work back there and, and the fact that you come out for air sometimes, you know, it's good for you. Every once in a while, you got to come out of the mines, you know? Yeah. You got to make sure the world is still there, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> we're selling this to people, right? There's still people here. No apocalypse. Right. Yeah. 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 There's still people left. <laughs> well, today we have a special show for you guys because we're going to be talking about a new DLC written by yours truly here, Cody Pondsmith and James, called Hornets Pharmacy, a Chemical Wonderland. We're going to dive into that DLC, talk about it, and how you can use it in your games. And of course, another countdown to Black Chrome. We got another preview for you all. The Rostovic Cleaver, a really cool looking weapon. We're definitely going to be talking about that. And before we get into the show, I just got to tell you, there's more previews on social media. Make sure you guys follow Artelsorian Games on all social media. It's on their blogs as well. There's, I think there's two other previews. I think you guys have done three so far, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, one just came out yesterday. There you go. So there's other previews. If you, you know, if you can't get enough, we got it for you. So um, let's just get straight to it. And then if we have any time, we'll answer some questions. How do you guys feel about that? Awesome. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah, we got some community questions too. But uh, Cody, first of all, talk to us about Hornets Pharmacy. A Chemical Wonderland. How did this come about? Tell us, which, so, tell us about this. So, so this came about because we, we've had a lot of people asking about uh, more street drugs and, uh, you know, chemicals, cyberware relating to poisoning people, stuff like that. And uh, quite, quite a long time ago, before we were working on Red, I was actually playing a character who is Hornet who is eventually, they, they started out as a fixer and they became a chemical weapons dealer, effectively, sort of during the Fourth Corporate War. In a kind of kind of amusing story through the sort of evolution of that character in the game, they wound up getting really into creating bioweapons. Um, so we sat down to basically, uh, as Hornet kind of exists as one of the sort of, um, like, mid-tier fixers that players wind up encountering on uh, a somewhat more, uh, you know, common basis than some of the other sort of higher-tier fixers. Uh, we wanted to create this... Um, we wanted to create this DLC that would be kind of you going to Hornet in much the same way as, you know, other DLCs you went to, um, you know, the Upload or um, other sort of characters in the setting Wood to chippers. get... Yeah, Woodchipper's Garage. Her name, her name is Woodchipper. Put <laughs> respect on her name. Um, <laughs> to to sort of get some of these uh, some of these uh, interesting toys focused very heavily in sort of the chemical and poison uh, sort of milieu, as it were. Yeah, very cool. I love the idea that we have additional drugs and like uh, you know. You're only cool if you know what these drugs are and what they do. Nobody wants to be the square that doesn't know what six gun or time warp is. And you're like, what's that? And like, come on, Chum. I thought you were cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was it was a lot of fun to kind of take because most of the uh most of the you know street drugs we we put in Horns Pharmacy, um, Berserker, Six Gun, Time Warp, and kind of in a way, prime time are based on old drugs from 2020. So it was kind of this idea of taking these, what were sort of known combat drugs in 2020 uh, and bringing them forward into 2045, either kind of exactly as they were, like Berserker and Time Warp, or in sort of somewhat new forms with this assumption that, you know, Hornet had 
tinkered with the design to make something slightly different for a sort of new uh, situation, as it were. Very good. Uh, James, do you have a favorite drug here of choice? I like Six Gun. I think Six Gun's very cool. Um, it has interest, it expands net running. So I know there's, there's extra net running content in here too. Um, uh, I, I know it's, it's okay. You can calm down. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, one thing I think is really interesting about this DLC is, uh, we wrote this in a hotel room, right? Cody? God, yes. We wrote yeah. this, we wrote this in a hotel room at PAX Unplugged. Yeah, um, that's where all genius comes from a hotel room. Uh, yeah, we get I mean, a lot of stuff done in convention hotel rooms. You yeah. get done. You get done with a shift at the booth. You know, it's it's uh, you, you're out completely out of physical energy. Your legs hurt. You just crash on the couch, pull out your laptop. I, there's there's something to be said for that. Is that you spend the entire day um, talking to you know people who listen to this show, awesome fans, and it hypes you up to do some game design. So yeah. when you get back and you're physically exhausted you're like but i'm not mentally exhausted yeah the, usually people don't take work home with them but you guys you, you couldn't resist we can't we can't not take work home with us not an invention at, at the minimum <laughs> but yeah, yeah normally too yeah 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 well, we're all appreciative of, uh, you know, you guys putting in that extra care in the hotel room. You could have been sleeping for the next day, but you came up with drugs, which I don't know what that says about you guys, but we're just going to float nothing, past that. Nothing good, but, you know, we'll deal with it. <laughs> well, there was a lot of surge involved, so. Gotcha. Well, let's talk about Six Gun. It's a 100 eddy premium uh, cost per dose kind of thing. So we're talking about street level kind of thing, you know, you the it's four net runners, net runners that got a little bit of eddies in their pocket. It lasts four hours. The for the duration of the primary effect, users move and reflex are reduced by two, at a minimum of one. For the duration of the primary effect, the user gains a plus two speed while jacked in. Hey, that's good for sliding, right? Past uh -huh. some black ice. You want that little edge to get get past some black ice. For the duration of the primary effect, the user treats any unsafe jackout not caused by a program effect as a safe jackout. Now, that's pretty insane. So while you're under the effect of the drug, you can always just jack out anytime you want without having to deal with the consequences. And then also, once per turn, the user can choose to take one point of humanity loss to gain one additional net action. Dude, that's pretty cool. <laughs> That was that was one of the that that's like the gold star effect on that one. James and I were working on it, and uh, it the the idea came up of of um, you know that con that concept of of burning humanity to get better in the net, and that concept of like pushing pushing your brain probably farther than it should be pushed with the benefit of this of this drug. Yeah, I I think the. Um... Due to the due to the humanity loss effect being like a permanent, almost legacy board game style effect to your character, um, and the cost being a hundred dollars a dose, this isn't going to be something that you bring to every net run. But if you know you're coming against a net run that'll be life and death, can you afford not to? Um, especially if you know you're going into a heist situation and all this stuff. Uh, there's interesting, what's also interesting is even after all that gets settled, you're like, okay, I'm willing to spend the humanity. I'm willing to spend the money. There's also the move penalty, yeah. which is actually a really big deal because it makes you better in the net, but it lowers your options of retreat outside of the net. Um, and since this is the type of thing that you take into stressful, powerful net architectures, while those tend to be heavily guarded, it's also a risky play. Even after the money is nothing to you, the humanity is nothing to you, even then, it's still balanced. That's one of the things I like about the assignments. Yeah, and you're also going to suck at shooting your gun. You're also going to suck at uh, driving. You're going to suck at... Um, will that also affect your ability to evade gunfire? Isn't that a minus to move? It's That's minus reflex move, and move. Move and it, reflex. It's move and reflex. 
Um, so it will, it will, you cannot dodge, uh, when you have it, you cannot dodge the bullets. Yeah. Well, for now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, you all, could... we all know, we all know that it's already been spoiled for black crumb. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, there, you know, there's, there's going to be, there, there will mixing be, there and will be work around in the, yeah. look, we're, we're selling you the problem and then we're selling you a solution to it. It's, yeah. it's, it's all a big scam. We'll just say your yeah, session goodbye. zeros. Your session zeros might be a little bit longer huh. after Black Chrome comes out. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> so uh, let's go to the secondary effect. It's a DV seventeen, which is pretty steep. Yeah. Um, for to avoid addiction, and if you're addicted, you have minus two speed while jacked in, unless you're experiencing the primary effect of six gun. So now you're going to be negative two in the net. You're not going to be a worthy net runner anymore. Yeah. You can run Speedy Gonzalez and completely negate this just for one net action. But then you're saying, I'll pay a net action instead of paying that. Plus, if you get hit with Killer or, uh, you know, Poison Flatline or anything like that, you're right back down again. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, exactly. So really cool, really fun. I always love uh, items and and stuff that have a upside and a downside. And I think the upside and downsides are perfectly balanced on this one. Very are exciting. We talking about talking about extra net actions here. It's got to yeah. be. Yeah, it was a good hotel room session. <laughs> uh, why don't we talk also about the additive compounds? This is something I don't think we've seen mm. before, have we? Nope. No. No. The the additive compound co compounds are are fully new for this. Um, I, I we wanted a, a way to kind of take the uh, stuff you already had in this case, you know, poison, and kind of expand its uses. Um, and they're kind of very specifically set for like three very specific situations. Um, so you've got your delaying compound, which uh, when mixed with a vial of poison or biotoxin it will delay the effects by either a minute or an hour um, so that you don't like, you know, slip the poison into somebody's drink and then, you know, hand it to them. And immediately they start, you know, they take that poison damage. You can kind of, um, you know, hold it out such that you're not going to be immediately caught for poisoning somebody. You've got that distilling compound, which takes the DV to, uh, to hit somebody with that poison and raises it by two just for, you know, you're hitting somebody who's going to be, you know, a solo or, you know, perhaps a drug addict or somebody who's running with combat drugs already is going to have a really high comparative resist torture and drug skill. And then you've got that osmosis compound, just in case you really want to set traps by just slathering poison all over everything. So the moment they, you know, as, as we say here, the moment somebody touches a doorknob they're not supposed to, they get hit by the poison. I, that was from a movie, right? What movie was that? Somebody sprayed. Oh, it, it, it's a spy thing. It's Yeah, like mer liquid mercury was on a door handle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Movie, oh, well, yeah. Oh, I have no idea. Yeah, I'll but ask it, Jay about that one. But the, yeah, it's one of those. Like he sprayed the door handle of the car. The guy came to open the car, got mercury poisoning, and died. I'm sure it's not the science doesn't hold up completely, but that's the <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. There's definitely stuff you could do that with. It's also just tea. Yeah, <laughs> just, just use tea or a squirt gun or yeah, oh. yeah. Okay, uh, that's cool. You know. You the cool thing about this is you could use these additive compounds in other uh, drugs from the core rulebook, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what I like about it. Uh, it, it leaves a lot of uh, room for creativity, so that's cool. Um, and then there's some new pharmaceuticals here. We got Sedative and Veritas. Uh, yes. Um, so these expand the, uh, the med tech uh, role ability, so they're actually a large expansion of a character class. Um, I believe Veritas is our truth serum. That's like our um, medtech administered truth serum. So it's a very powerful tool for solving investigation, gameplay, stuff like that. Uh, and, um, you know, it, it'll have the effect at your, that on your table of like a zone of truth type thing. Uh, but uh, 
I believe Cody, this was, you were big on this, this concept. It has to be the like suggestible state. We, when um, we were, oh, sorry, when we were doing the, this, go, go ahead. It's cooler. Go explain. You, you when we explain. were doing this, uh, we were both very concerned by the concept of making a truth serum because, you know, as James said, that shuts down a lot of gameplay. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it sucks for players getting affected by it as well. You know, it's, it's a rough time all around. So I actually spent like uh, a surprising amount of time sitting up in a hotel room in Philadelphia, like researching, um, you know, uh, researching actual real world, you know, truth serums or whatever. So what it does is uh, when administered, it doesn't force you to tell the truth. It like real world, you know, truth serums, it puts you in this like kind of hazy, like half asleep, high, highly suggestive state um, where you have a super hard time focusing. And thus you take this massive minus five penalty to acting, concentration, conversation, deduction, human perception, persuasion. So it's not that it's forcing you to tell the truth. It's that it's making it so hard for you to focus well enough to construct a good lie. So you, and at the same time, it's hitting your concentration and your conversation and human perception. So not only is it making it harder for you to lie, it's making it harder for you to tell when your interrogators are lying to you. It's making it harder for you to tell, you know, subtle clues. It's making it harder for you to concentrate on things. So it rather than kind of giving it just this like, wow, affected by this drug, you cannot lie. It kind of gives it a bit more gameplay benefit while also making it kind of a little more real in a sense. Yeah, got it. So it's it's not meant to be like, oh, okay, what do you want to know? And I'll give you straight answers. It's more of like you're putting someone in this like kind of concussed, hazy, not sure where they are situation. You're bombarding them with questions. And they might give you like one word answers and then also be like, where am I? Who are you in between their answers? You know what I mean? So it's better than uh, as far as like mechanics go, it's a DV-17 resist torture drugs on the uh, victim. And then 10 minutes long uh, of a hazy state and they get a minus five to acting, concentration, conversation, deduction, human perception and persuasion checks. Now, yeah. The uh, the human perception is going to be one of what the NPC or the person that you're giving to this to. That's what they're going to be using to figure out if you're lying to them or what your intentions are. But, you know, that's their interpretation of what's going on. You know, it could be like completely bonkers, too. So, OK. Anything else you wanted to add on that, James? Um, yeah. So in the core rule book, we have a lie detector. And this, combined with that drug, uh, make a very powerful toolkit. Um, I think this drug is actually really interesting if you're a um, if you have a party where one person is a med tech and another person is playing a llama, um, because then you get to fully experience that whole scene um, and interrogation can become even more of a part of your team's, you know, repertoire. Um, anyway. Cool. So I was very happy that those those two designs interacted very well. Yeah, yeah, very good. And uh, we'll quick quickly mention sedative is exactly what you think it would be. It's putting someone to sleep. Um, there's a benefit. You'll get the plus two bonus to your surgery check if you're giving it to someone that you're doing surgery on. But it can also be used as sort of like a weapon. Um, one minute or 20 combat rounds. But the kicker is they can be awoken by taking damage. Or an outside party takes uh, using an action to rouse them, so they they can come out of it. You know, it's not it's not a permanent state. So, so yeah, that's good. Okay, sounds good. Sort of um, a tool, and it's good. That one's good if you're a med tech that focuses on surgery, um, but you wanna you wanna get a little bit of uh, other tech skills of other medical tech skills in with that. Yeah, I like it. Um, okay, how far in? We're 20 minutes in. I think we got to talk about Black Chrome. So, Oh, yeah. Do you guys want to like talk it. about the gear and cyberware? We got to talk about the cyberware. 
Well, the gear is very straightforward. Uh, the gear is just the Suzume Bachi assassin drone. Uh, we wanted to give you an assassin drone that you could that, that could be sort of deployed because that was one of the things that we were kind of missing was this very sort of, you know, uh, biotoxin arrows and air hypo kind of little flying drone. Um, but then the cyberware, uh, we have the, the body weight auto injector, which is pretty much good for just about anybody. It's this um, internal cyberware that installs a single dro dose of a street drug in it that can be, um, you know, uh, injected into your body as an action. So it's this, you know, pretty much uh, relatively undetectable subdermal cyberware that can have any of the street drugs that we have here loaded. So if you need this in a, in a pinch, you can still get it in you, as it were. You can, you can get your, you know, your synth coke or your berserker or whatnot and kind of smuggle it into places as well. Yeah, so the, the stipulation is a biomonitor. If you got one of those, you can use this auto-injector to load you with the, with the street drug of choice automatically when you either roll initiative receive a critical injury or enter a chosen wound state. Do you have yeah. to, can it be any of the three or do you have to pick one of the three? Any, any of the uh, three. So one of the cool things is that you can, you know, the mind whirs at, oh, I put one on when I get this injury, one when I get this injury, one when I get this injury. Um, and considering it doesn't cost you an action uh, when the trigger goes off, um, you can kind of, view that as gaining an action in that combat so it's actually rather powerful and a real boost to using street drugs as part of your combat toolkit oh i can see the solos ready to min max <laughs> <laughs> they roll in if they take time warp yeah yeah oh god <laughs> uh the second i enter a wound state i become immune to wound states that's another good one um cody what's one what what is what is what does Hornet have? I mean, Hornet personally carries prime time in his because he he needs to be he needs to be able to to you know shut off his emotions and and become uh you know cool and convincing at any moment. But that's because he's a fixer. Yeah, yeah, I like the that? yeah. Cody. That's that's the uh, cool and will action. Say that again. What's uh what's Hornet's activation trigger for that? Um. Hornet's activation trigger is just that he activates it. He he uh, uh, doesn't, he doesn't yeah. have that like when he goes into a wound state or anything. He relies like on he relies on uh, Fox to make sure he doesn't go into wound states. Indeed, there you go. Um, all right, so uh, the last one here is the Pursuit Security Inc. Gas Jet, a cyberarm option. What do we got here? So this uh, is. Well, this is a personal favorite of mine. Another piece of cyberware that Hornet has. It's in his in his cyber arm. Um, it can be loaded with three doses of a street drug or three vials of poison or biotoxin. And uh, when activated, it will shoot a cloud of that street drug or biotoxin uh, out in effectively the same range as a shotgun shell, forcing anybody in that area. Um, to effectively be affected by the uh, by the street drug or uh, poison, um, so it's it's really good for if you want to, you know, it's it's not a great like every combat situation, but it's a good way to kind of put uh, either poison on a lot of people at once if you're like caught out in a situation, or it also kind of lets you weaponize some of the street drugs that you would normally not be able to fully weaponize. Yeah, I could just imagine like, your... Go ahead. Oh, things like blue glass, for instance. I was going to say, yeah. I can imagine you're at a nightclub and the DJ just sprays the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> it's like... like... Yeah. Oh, That's I like good. that. All right, so that's uh, that's Hornet's Pharmacy. Uh, make sure you guys go to the Artel Sorian official website. You can get it there. It is free, free ninety nine, super free, and enjoy it. Add it to your game, mix and match, and get ready for Black Chrome, which we're going to be talking about right now. The Rostovic Cleaver from Black Chrome. 
uh, beautiful looking sword that looks like it's going to cut anything in half. Cody, you chose this weapon to preview, so let's let's let you talk about it. So this is this is like my absolute favorite weapon from Black Chrome, um, and uh, it's it's basically just this this massive uh, like four foot long, six inch wide blade that's like attached with a battery pack, and the the blade itself. Uh, acts as a, as a two-handed exotic, very heavy melee weapon, but you have to have a body eleven or higher to wield it because this thing is like, like anime sword level enormous. Oh. Um, and you can basically uh, the cool part is that on top of this you can charge it, uh, which requires sort of begin beginning. It requires an action. It takes a minute uh, to charge, but once you charge it the battery pack on this thing will basically heat the entire sort of length of the blade white hot so much so that if you are not like actively holding the blade while it's charging, um, it will melt onto any surface that you put it on functionally destroying the weapon. Cause it's getting so crazy hot. But at that point um, it basically Acts as a uh, a very a, an exotic, very heavy melee weapon that deals five d six damage instead, and when charged, it ignores all armor of of SP eleven or lower. So it is just as what was it, James? You were you were pulling on on big hot knife energy. It's 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 a it's a couple it's of a things. It's a ten thousand degree knife. Um, additionally, uh, it's also the sword from No More Heroes. Yes. Uh, and, and it's also, uh, Cloud Stripes weapon at the same time. Uh, yeah. it also, uh, has a time limit on the, uh, on the heat, right? Because they, uh, the batteries don't get, this is one of the weapons that uses batteries in this book, where the batteries are not reusable. The batteries actually melt. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, and it... Additionally, anything hit by the cleaver is on fire. Yeah, of course. Yeah, mildly on fire, as it says. It's just this massive, massive thousand degree, 10,000 degree knife, and it's my favorite item, and I think possibly the entirety of Black Chrome. It also has some pretty cool lore. Um, do we, do we want to, why don't you, you want to reveal the lore paragraph? This is a, this is a podcast format show, we can. Yeah, I mean, what? we could do whatever we want. Um, no. I'll, I'll, I'll let you go over the lore because that's that's your your brainchild. Fine, I'll <clears throat> my own writing. All right, this was a nice piece. This is Rostovic, the Rostovic Cleaver. Also, I would absolutely love if we could get this uh, beautiful art on screen, John. John, of course, always. This battery powered. Four foot long, six inch wide, white hot vibrating blade originally started as a joke among Rostovic R&D staff. When the execs at Savoyle saw it, however, they assumed otherwise and ordered it to be produced as part of a limited production run. The blade of the cleaver with a K uh, is powered with a large motor in the handle uh, to both vibrate the blade 2,000 times per minute and heat it to an unholy temperature, making it the exact opposite of an efficient and rational design. <laughs> that when the Rostovic Cleaver is a two-handed, exotic, very heavy melee weapon that requires body 11 or higher to wield. Due to its massive size, it cannot be wielded in a single hand by any means. Charging this weapon begins with an action, which starts a one-minute long, 20 rounds of combat, uh, heating process, during which the blade must be wielded or it will melt itself into any surface it's left touching, destroying the weapon. Starting the heating process also requires the blade be loaded with three fresh 50 euro, uh, euro buck battery packs, which get as hot as the length of the blade during the heating process, destroying them beyond repair. As a safety feature, you can only reload these battery packs while the blade is uncharged, which takes an action. After the heating process is complete, the blade begins to vibrate automatically. Once charged, the rest of a cleaver will remain charged for exactly five minutes. <clears throat> Final paragraph. Uh, while charged, the cleaver is a two-handed, exotic, very heavy melee weapon, which deals 5d6 damage that requires body 11 or higher to wield. While charged, 
damage dealt by this weapon ignores the target's armor entirely if it is lower than 11 SP. Armor with SP 11 and higher is still interacted with as normal. Additionally, anyone or anything hit by the cleaver is now mildly on fire. If the cleaver is unequipped while charging, it will melt itself into any surface it's left touching, destroying the weapon. 30 seconds before time is up, the battery compartment begins to smoke. That's it. It's amazing. That's amazing. There, I love the... Uh, so just to give people an idea, the only way to get a body 11 is through a linear frame, right? Yep. Yes. Yeah, so you're talking about some psycho in a linear frame carrying this giant sword in their hand, and it's like lighting up the entire room and cutting things in half and lighting it on fire. <laughs> lots, of, lots of fun times to be had with uh, people showing up with this weapon already charged. Uh, exciting, exciting boss fight. Yeah, and... Um... What do you think about like a tech, you know, upgrading this thing? What are some things a tech can do to this thing? You th oh, well, it's exotic. I don't think it. So exotic weapons can still be tech upgraded. That's right. They just can't have mods, right? Modifier. That's right. Yeah. And melee weapon anyways. So yeah. I don't know those. Mm -hmm. um, the little softy confirmed for the book. Most <laughs> people were excited for that, but uh we did that intentionally so that all of the exotic weapons could be different in the melee category because they have to be different in melee weapons. Um, okay. Um, I don't know is the answer. I have no idea what techs are going to do with this. I suspect there's going to be a lot of, I want to make it a 66 weapon. Mm. Um, I suspect what if it was uh, able to be wielded in one hand? I'm I'm sure we'll get shortening the uh, the uh, charging time. Mm -hmm. I imagine shortening the charging time. If you're I just I just imagine somebody they just like they've added like a like a, a chainsaw starter onto it. They just like rev this uh, this sword. I could see shortening the charging time for uh, burning additional batteries. Yeah. Oh God! Just like overpower it, overcharge yeah. it, supercharge so the battery. Yep. Um, there's also another sword, which I'll tease uh, here, of similar pricing and quality by Arasaka that includes uh, additives, and perhaps those could be fitted onto the weapon. Perhaps. Uh, but, you know, um, I don't think that one's been spoiled yet, and that's your, that's the tease of the day. There you go. You can't say too much. Arasaka yeah. will come for us. <laughs> yeah, Arasaka. Oh, man. So, uh, basically, you what? you have six minutes what? to use this thing. Because it's one minute to charge it, and then five minutes in, of usage, and then it's got it's done. So, if you can't, can't get something done in five minutes of having a giant flaming sword, I don't think you deserve a giant flaming sword. And it's very much that that old thing where it's like if I pull out the blade, it needs to taste blood before. I, you know, yep. what I mean? if I turn this thing on, it I, needs to cut. I spent money to charge this thing. Yeah. There is <laughs> be happening in the next five minutes. <laughs> it's like, well, I guess we're fighting. <laughs> By the way, is this um, thing going to be loud too? I can only imagine it makes a horrible sound. It vibrates how much? It's 2,000 times per minute. That thing is probably like... It's, ah! it's, it's <laughs> yeah. a loud monoblade. <laughs> yeah. My I God. Uh, okay, very good. So when the battery... Way, I apologize for anyone's ears. No, don't worry. I put an audio limiter, so... Oh, excellent. Don't worry. I do audio. I'll make Ooh. a lot of loud noises now. <laughs> there you Ooh. go. You're good to go. So once the battery's out, uh, what's what? What can someone do? Just fresh new battery, and you're good to go. Um, I mean, once it's cooled down, it's cooled down. Then you can use an axe to replace the battery, and then you gotta heat it back up. Yeah, gotcha. So you're gonna need a tech to take a look at it, and they're gonna be like, "What is this ungodly thing you brought? To <laughs> I can't even carry it." <laughs> 
That's cool. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much for that preview, guys. We really appreciate it. Um, and we cannot wait to see some more Black Chrome. Why don't we get to some questions from the community? Awesome. I'm sure people are dying to ask you guys. And now that we got Cody here, people are like, oh, super bonus. <laughs> some of those esoteric questions. We yeah. Like. Yeah, here's a good one uh, I've been kind of thinking about, too. So uh, this is from Angel Cruz. When you get dismembered limb critical injury on a cyber limb, you completely lose the limb and all limb attachments permanently. Also, when it comes to treating the dismembered limb and the cyber limb, does that repair the limb as well or make it so the critical injury doesn't apply? Very good. So you can't put a limb back, a, a dismembered limb back on unless you fix the critical injury. Um, I'm pretty sure that once you fix the critical injury, the limb goes right back on. Um, now, I know if I cut off your limb and uh, it started to look like you were getting away, uh, I might, you know, either grab, take the limb because it's valuable. You said it was full of all that stuff. Or I might, you know, hit it with the Rostovic cleaver, smash it a little bit. <laughs> um, so this, is to, this isn't to say that the GM can never destroy your cyber limb once it gets cut off your arm. Um, but it is to say that it does not, by raw, by raw, destroy it in the process of severing. By raw, it's a clean cut. So you could, so once you fix the critical injury, you can put it back on. We yep. assume that would be, is that part of the, part of fixing the critical injury or is that yep. you have to reinstall it? That is part of fixing the critical injury. Cool. Very good. Okay. So it's it you don't have to go like down the cyber limb route. You could just do yeah. the you mm -hmm. know, you know, where you have to use like cyber tech instead of uh whatever meant. No, that is you can use cyber tech instead. Got you. It gives you an option, I think. Well, if not, we'll let you know on the next episode. <laughs> Tell me how wrong I am in the next episode. Yeah. Um, well, I had a, actually another question uh, that's not on here. What do you guys do for critical injuries for non-human uh, targets? You know, we got drones, vehicles. Oh, we lost the phone. We got drones. We got vehicles. We got buildings. We got all kinds of stuff. Is there anything? Um, I know there's no, like rules is written implementation but what do you guys think uh can per be thrown in personally i personally that kind of that, that kind of depends on the thing um in a lot of cases i'll i'll apply the critical injury if it makes sense like you know dismemberments and broken legs on a drone makes sense but like you know if i get like you know i don't know uh heart damage or something like that i'll usually re-roll um, until I get something that works. I've uh, specifically with drones. Sometimes I've treated it as EMP. Um, most of the time, though, I just say, "Hey, you can't do that." Um, just to, and I don't say that to be a dick. I say that to keep the combat flowing because typically that drone is dead already. Mm. Um, when you're doing enough damage to hit a drone with a critical injury. It's most likely, unless it's a high-end Savannah Panther, in which case it has actual limbs, maybe I could be interested in that. Um, most of the time, it's almost dead. If, you know, you roll six, six, four, two, it's close to gone. And uh, I just don't, um, I, I, in my games, I really value um, shortening the amount of time you have to wait between your turn. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's vital, especially if you got net runners. They're net running. There's all kinds of stuff going on. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, when in my experience, like let's say one of my players are they're shooting at a vehicle, they get double sixes or triple sixes. I'm like thinking to myself, all right, if I say the vehicle has a flat tire, is that equivalent to a broken leg? I think maybe not because there's like four people in the vehicle. And it's like yeah. four people are affected by it. They all get whiplash from the crash, you know? So it's like, it's hard. But at the same time, I want to say something happens. You know what I mean? Yeah. I get it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess. I, oh, go ahead. Vehicles. 
Um, the reason why that isn't the case is because of game speed, um, but also because I wanted to privilege the aim for weak point uh, action, because what that does is privilege melee weapons a lot. And, you know, we, we, like, we like Akira here. We're big fans of Akira and other people's motorcycles with very heavy melee weapons because we have interface plugs. Yeah. Jeez, what if you that with a rustic cleaver? <laughs> On a motorcycle? Let's see it. Let's see it, people. I have I have always I've always wanted to make a nomad character who just has interface plugs and a motorcycle and their handle is centaur and they just never get off the motorcycle. Off the motorcycle. Yeah, actually, somebody asked some really cool question about that. Remember that, James? Somebody said if you could interface and then you evade with your motorcycle. Oh, that guy. Yeah. Um, yeah if I you got that. the right, if you got the right upgrades, you can. If you have yeah. the right upgrades. Yeah, it was one of these. Uh, okay. Honestly, there's a lot of there's a lot of like you know on page this it says do this. Uh, there's a lot of esoteric uh, questions. I think for a regular episode that James and I are on, we can answer these questions, like more rules questions. But I think uh, it's more appropriate if we if we talk game stuff. So um, I wanted yeah. to talk to you guys about. So you don't want to wait the opportunity. We got Cody here, right? Yeah, we got we got to talk about game stuff. Um, I wanted to talk to you guys a little bit. Uh, you know, Cyberpunk has been out for a while now. Is there anything uh, that you've been using in your own personal red games? And obviously don't talk about stuff that could be coming in future publications, but stuff that, you know, you've been toying around with as homebrew or, or adjusted things or stuff that you saw that just really works, even if it's not like something big, you know? Gosh, uh, let's see. It's it, the, it sounds bad, but most everything I do in my or my home game is I'm testing things that I'm going to put into a future DLC. <laughs> I figured, I figured so for time. yeah, for you it's like so, yeah. So this is a working <laughs> campaign. Yeah, but that's not the right question for James, basically. <laughs> but I, Cody, tell tell me your homebrew. I won't be mad. Um, I mean the the I've been I've only been running my current red game for I think like three sessions so far. So a lot of it has been pretty pretty by the book. But um I uh I have been my my current campaign deals a lot more with like net ghosts and AI. Um so I've been I've been toying a lot with how to inter interact with AI and net ghosts in in the system as it exists. Which is interesting. Um, I've been generally treating, uh, I generally treat net ghosts as just like purely, uh, like effectively netrunner characters with the assumption that they have to exist within a net architecture. Um, mm. That basically they are just constantly jacked into the net and don't have a physical body to go back to. But other than that, they kind of function as a, uh, as a sort of enemy netrunner or, you know, Allied Netrunner, and I'll usually give them some programs making kind of the assumption that when they were soul killed, it kind of like pulled some of that with them. And or now that they are an AI, they can kind of almost build their own programs, both offensive and defensive. Mm. Um, and then on the AI, I kind of do the same thing, but um, we've, as James has, has said in the past, I don't know if you said it here, we kind of treat AI as uh, its own special thing. Yeah. It, AI are able to break the rules, basically. Um, yeah. So I give AI uh, more capability to kind of not, not necessarily like make programs on the fly, but uh, I try to make each AI have something that it kind of does or allow it to, in some cases, um, augment the net architecture it's in a little bit like uh change what's on the floors or move the floors in some way uh That's sort of as a net action um my I'm, working through ai homebrew has all the couple of times it's come up in my game i've always just treated it as i'm just throwing a net runner an enemy net runner at them except that enemy net runner is going to go in between everybody else's turn mm, okay it, it's gonna get 
four turns, and it's going to feel like you're fighting four enemy netrunners at the same time. That's a great um, idea. I like that. It, because they... I, I like that because it makes them feel inhuman, and they yeah. are inhuman. Yeah. Yeah, That's like cool. their computing power is so powerful that they could do things human beings can't. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I've uh, I've given one of my Netrunner players like a soul killed AI. Uh-huh. Um, it was like a copy of a soul killed AI. There was multiple copies. And then the wow. one AI was like, I want you to kill the other ones so I can just be one and feel oh, like, okay. kind of like a human, you know? Yeah. I and... like the, our equivalent of in D&D giving somebody a dragon egg. <laughs> Basically, because yeah. now they're in the net, and I allow that AI to, to do one net action. Yeah. You know, so it's like they get an extra net action, but it's it's narratively done through, like, this AI assistant. I, I did, I'm doing a somewhat similar thing in, uh, in my current game. My net runner uh, delved into places they should not have gone. And uh, got wound up getting a uh, getting a net ghost uh, effectively trapped on their cyber deck, uh, so they're it, it basically burned out a bunch of their programs to make room for itself, and it's now living in their cyber deck. And the cool part is the net runner is like fully decked out, so they've got virtuality. So the net ghost has effectively. Uh, has they've made this deal where they have a set of interface plugs always plugged into that uh, cyber deck, and the net ghost is able to use their virtuality to kind of manifest itself to talk to them. Oh, I like very, that very much, like Johnny in uh, 2077, right? Yeah, yeah, I like that. That also it's like reminiscent of like a cursed blade, yeah, you know, like it whispers to you and stuff. Uh, it, what is the same? What? What's the name? Oh God, I can't. I I just have to make sure none of my players watch this. <laughs> um, they the the this is like the thrust of the current plot line. They got sent into the into uh, the hot zone to find an old net port that's still active. Um, they were used as basically uh basically bait to catch something in the old net. And what they have not figured out yet is that the thing that is currently in their net runners uh, cyber deck is actually a rabid um Ooh. which is going to be attempting to use them to get itself and copies of itself into net architectures all over night city oh yeah yeah like race hasn't done enough damage yeah <laughs> that's cool yeah that's very cool i like that what's it like uh centering the campaign around a net runner how do the other players uh feel about that and what are you doing to basically make sure that they get their little parts of uh of their story done as well it's not currently it's not really centered around the net runner it's around sort of the larger basically the plot line is that they they get one of those like you know uh too good to be true opportunities from a, a mysterious client and they, you know, go in, it goes pear-shaped, the, the client tries to, you know, tries to kill them, and they have to effectively escape into the combat zone where they're hiding out in an old, like, uh, they're hiding out in an old uh, refurbished hotel that has become this, like, hideout for people who are looking to get away from the law or corpse or whatever, but they don't know why they were betrayed, they don't know what they, what happened, so the 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 players are, as a group, trying to basically reestablish themselves and build up enough power and connections with gangs to basically hit back at the people who betrayed them. And in the meantime, kind of in the background, the Netrunner is dealing with the fact that there's, at first they were like, I got, I almost got fried. I don't know what happened. And then they start realizing that there's like weird shit going on with their, with their cyber deck. And just recently they've like actually interacted with this rabid and realized that it is something sapient on their cyber deck so wow. everyone's once... cody what and this is session three cody uh yeah remind <laughs> remind, the, remind the viewers how long your game sessions last my game sessions are usually four to five hours nice that's um, solid so it's it mostly I'm I'm leaving that as kind of it's a thing that will pop up every once in a while, but 
the, the, the vast majority of the time, the, the, the rabbit in their cyber deck is just kind of doing its own thing. Um, like they will go in and do missions with the rest of the team and they jack into the architecture and the rabbit looking for its own things will also jack into the architecture using their, their other cyber deck. Um, but it doesn't like talk to them about what it's doing. So like sometimes things will just happen in the net architecture and the player, you know, uh, so far has worked out this like kind of deal with, with this thing in their, in their cyber deck um, because the thing in their cyber deck has kind of saved their ass a few times and is now on this, like, I've saved you, so I'm going to need some payback pretty soon. Gotcha. It's a shaky ally, basically. It's like an untrustworthy ally, but... Mm. So, how, I'm sh because that's the thing, you know, you introduce something like that to your players, they're like, okay, yeah. I want to I kill it with fire because, you know, I don't need right. something like that in my life. But that's why you got to entice it with some good stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's worked out really well because the Netrunner, of course, is, you know, obviously extremely anti-corporate. And the Rabbit is also a pretty extremely anti-corporate. So they're in this interesting zone where they've worked out, like I said, this tentative this tentative relationship of, like, the, the Netrunner hasn't figured out a way to get rid of it yet. And at the same time, their goals kind of align, and the the AI has already threatened basically, all right, I'm moving at the speed of thought. You're moving at the speed of your body. If you try to unplug these interface plugs from this cyber deck, I'm going to go into your neuralware. And even I don't know what that's going to do, but it's probably not going to be good for you. Diabolical, dude. Diabolical. Jesus. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I love the idea that it's like, you hate corporations? Yeah, me too. Yeah, so we're going to burn Night City to the ground? Wait a minute. Hold on. What just They happened? haven't gotten to that part yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's cool. Um, so other so have they made the connection? Is there a connection with the Rabbids and what happened with why they're on the run? Yeah, basically the, um, the, the Uber, what they're eventually going to find out is that they were hired as bait, effectively. They sent this Netrunner into, like, one of the last remaining ports to the old net that the that uh, they could find. Their client is actually Ziggurat. Um, it's this, like, mid-level executive who really wants to impress UR, the, this, the, the face of Ziggurat, who is, of course, very interested in Raish Bartmoss and the Rabbids. So they were like, okay, I got some data on where we may be able to find this. So they sent the Netrunner in as bait and basically said, take this chip, they gave him a chip that would theoretically capture uh, capture the rabbit when the rabbit inev inevitably tried to, you know, brain burn the Netrunner. But the rabbit caught wise, uh, circum circumvented the chip, and went into the Netrunner's cyberdeck. Gotcha. So, ooh, gotcha, gotcha. So, so can this rabbit take down the garden? Um, at the moment, everything I've been able to gather is that the the garden doesn't really work like the net, so currently it can't. Um, yeah. One of the like uh, one of the like side quests that the net runner is eventually going to get from the rabbit is basically to find a a port to the old net to go talk to effectively another like one of the fully transcendent like just generated out of the ether AI to try and find a way to get itself into the garden and the city net. Oh, gotcha. By the way, like if... I want to be around. Say, yeah. say it again? Sounds like a fun person you want to be around. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Talk to that GPT. <laughs> oh, no. Well, if any of your players are watching now and you haven't turned <laughs> it off by now, please turn it off. Yes. You, 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 this episode's done for you, okay? I appreciate the support, <laughs> but you're done. I wanted to dive a little bit deeper into it, just game master stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you, so what what kind of flaw are you introducing for this rabbit? Have you thought of something like that where, you know, if the players just know this one little weakness about it? Um, the key on the rabbit is that at the moment it is completely contained to the cyber deck. Um, it can't get out of the cyber deck. It can activate the cyber deck, but it can't actually get out of the cyber deck. 
which I kind of consider to be the flaw for all AI creations is that they have to be within a net architecture. And Night City is so air-gapped that the, the, you know, functionally, if they were to find a way to disconnect the interface plugs from that cyber deck and like bury that cyber deck, they would also bury the rabbit. Gotcha. Um, so it's, it's basically, it's an incredibly powerful sort of genie in a bottle situation, but it is in a bottle. You know, so they, they, if they can find a way to separate the Netrunner from the cyber deck, they can get rid of it. And even if they kind of can't, you know, the, <laughs> the brutality of the cyberpunk setting, if they do try to, you know, unplug the cyber deck and the, the rabbit does try to go into the Netrunner's neuralware, um, you know, at worst comes to worst. Arguably, they could kill the Netrunner, and that would kind of put put an end to all of it. Um, uh, or, you know, there could be sort of like a bit of a, now we need to go into intensive brain surgery to try to get the neural net out of your brain and also excise this, you know, this code, basically. Yeah, while making sure it doesn't infest any of our stuff here at the hospital, right? Yeah. Um. What about like something like an EMP? Uh, that sort of thing, I've generally assumed will uh, like that will shut down the the tech in the cyber deck. Um, but I've generally assumed it won't like fry the rabbit, but it will um, it'll basically shut down the the cyber deck temporarily. So they could try that. They haven't thought of that yet, but they're also in a situation where I. I have a distinct feeling that, unfortunately, the Netrunner is going to trust the Rabid far enough that they're going to wind up kind of undermining their ability to uh, to actually get rid of it. Yeah, they think they got a Pokemon, but they they, they don't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I got it. Yeah, because the idea is you don't want the Rabid to be wise to your plan either, so you can't have, like, discussions about what you're going to do. Yeah. And you can't just jack out if you want to, you know what I mean? Yeah. So. And of course, at the same time, the Ziggurat, uh, Ziggurat is looking for them to try and find them. It Unfortunately, in the process of trying to, trying to kill them before they knew that they had been bamboozled, they basically, uh, using the extremely shaky nature of architecture in the hot zone, they basically brought down the building the players were in. Oh, shit. So... The players were able to just barely escape, but now Ziggurat thinks they've been crushed under, you know, millions of tons of concrete and rebar. So they're like, there are there are low-level uh, Ziggurat employees, like security personnel, sifting through all this rubble to try and find the corpses of the players, and will eventually find out that they're not there. Mm. Mm. Interesting. How long do you think it would take, like a month of excavation before they really yeah. know? I've I've set this on a uh, basically I've set this on a on a, uh, a a time scale, so they've got like a certain amount of time before Ziggurat figures out that they're not dead, and then a little bit of time after that before Ziggurat finds out where they are. Mm -hmm. I love that. That's that's so exciting, man. I like that. That's really interesting. Uh, it's always good to use a corporate bad guy, especially yeah. one that wants that has its own uh, agenda. So Classic. Perfect. Classic. It always works, and it's always yep. fun. It always works. You're right. It does always work. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it, folks. Chooms, thank you so much and for listening, for supporting. We really hope you enjoyed the DLCs, the Black Chrome uh, sneak peek. We are hoping to see Black Chrome very soon in our hands. I'm sure you guys are working really hard to get that going. Um, Cody... Thank you so much for joining us. Don't be a stranger. You could come on anytime you want. When you want to take a break from The Witcher and you just want to chop it up with your buddies, we're here for you, okay? <laughs> Hell yeah. Sounds good to me. Anything, coming, yeah, thank you. Anything you want to tell the folks at home uh, before you go back into your cave? <laughs> Remember me. No. Um, no, I hope you're having great fun with your cyberpunk games out there. And uh, remember that uh, that Life is no fun without risk, and uh, you know you can't you can't feel the pleasures in life if you haven't felt the pain. So, make sure to hurt your players, <laughs> not too much, just a little. 
Yeah, go savage on your players is what Cody is saying. <laughs> yes, obviously. Yeah. Every time a cyberpunk red character dies, there's a counter in uh in Cody's office that dings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh James, anything you want to tell the chooms at home? Uh nothing this time. I'll have something next time. Okay, that's it. Night City great- Council. Yeah, have a great one. We'll see you guys on the next one. Night City Council is adjourned. We'll see you guys. Oh, John John the Wise at gmail.com. Send me your questions. We love the esoteric ones, of course. And um, my apologies if we didn't answer your question this this time. We will next time. And we'll see you guys on the next one. All right. Bye.